Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Hey, it's great to have you guys with us today. And we are in a series called You Ask For It. And if you were here last week, we are answering questions that some of you asked. Some of you didn't uh, ask your questions. You'll get uh, a chance to in the future, maybe. Uh, and we're also asking the biggest questions from people who follow Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus. Because um, what I've realized is this. There's so much that, that we'll teach or we'll talk about, but you have questions that you won't answer. Now, one thing you have to realize with this, it's very important, I said this last week, is that as I set this up, it's not my goal to just give you my opinion. If I give, give you my opinion, I'm going to tell you this is my opinion, right? I'm not the Pope. I'm not the ultimate authority on anything. So you can disagree with me. You've been wrong before, though. Just realize that, right? <laughs> my goal is to help you to understand whether you agree or not or like or not the way the scriptures present things to us. Because again, in our world, we have to understand that to be a disciple of Jesus, not just be a follower, not just come to church, not just kind of ascribe to Christianity because it's our, you know, grandma and grandpa did it, mom and daddy did it, but you want to be a disciple of Jesus, someone who is a learner, is being shaped by what scripture says. And so I'm excited this week uh, as we do that to talk about heaven, hell, and the end times. And so there's a lot of questions we have about that. And so what I'm going to do is jump into questions. And if I get through with, with the questions today, I got questions I didn't get to last week. Because, um, again, we had so much to deal with. But what the first thing I want to ask, the first question is this that people ask, is do our pet, where do our pets go when they die? And I say, oh. Um, hey, listen, and, and let me just say that, like, some, some of you who aren't pet people may look at that and be like, who cares? This is very important, though. Do you understand? And this, this is why some people, I just want to go a little side, sidebar here, why some people are so um, connected to their pet. One of the biggest reasons is this. They've never had anybody stay in their life or care for them. They all, they're always leaving. They're always doing something else. They're always avoiding them. They're always, you know, whatever it is. And that pet to them is the only stabilizing force they've ever had in their life. And so if you, if you scoff at pets and say this really doesn't matter, to some people, this is the only relationship in their life they've ever had someone, even being a pet, be stable, to show affection, to be there, to be loyal. Um, so where do, our, where do our pets go when they die? Well, they all go to hell. I'm kidding. No, no, I'm joking. I'm <laughs> I am joking. I'm joking. Um, so first of all, you have to realize this. We have to look at when God created mankind. Um, pets and, and humans do share the fact that God breathed life into them both, right? So like... All life is God-breathed. Now, we're, it's not very clear to us if our pets will end up in heaven. We don't know that. We know that they, they have a soul of some sort. But you have to understand this. When people try to say, hey, we're just all animals, now this is one thing I do want to talk about because we're not all just animals. The thing that separates us, that, again, evolution can't really tell you when it happened and how it happened, the people that deal with that, is the difference between us and maybe what they say to be our closest ancestor, which I don't agree, is a monkey, is this. They're not able to worship. No animals were. And they're not able to show when, if those who believe in evolution versus creation, when that happens. You have to understand that animals don't share 100% of what it means to be made in God's image. We're made in God's image. He created male and female to be made in God's image. That means that we are the image bearers of God. That means that we, um, you know, we have, we have again, the, the, the opportunity for morality. We have the opportunity to worship. There's so much inside of us that separates us from just an animal. And so I want you to understand that. Now, when it comes to pets, 
Um, what we can look at is in Revelation, it does say there'll be animals in heaven. For the lion and the lamb shall lay down together, right? And they shall be there. So we know there's pets there in, or animals there in heaven, but will our pets be there? I hate to tell you, but we just don't know. We don't know if pets will be there or not, if our pets will. We know animals will be there. Um, and so, again, when they die, where do they go? Um, it would be great if the Bible told us, right, clearly, but we don't know. And so the, the fact that all dogs go to heaven, that's not great theology because we just don't know that. And I say this to not give you an answer because there are so many things with the Bible and with Christianity that are very clear. There are some things that just aren't clear and we don't have answers on. The problem is this, if you want to be Sherlock Holmes and figure everything out about God and the universe, you're never going to be able to worship or, or follow Jesus. Because some things, you, it's just way beyond our pay grade, right? This is one of them we don't know. Um, I hope so, um, because I had some, some good pets I'd like to see again. But if not, that's up to God there, right? The second one is this, can our loved ones look down from heaven and see us? They're just an angel in heaven. God wanted an angel. I know we've all said that. Um, I just want to, in a loving way, because we're not, we're not at a funeral today, that is the worst theology ever to have. And I want to share with you why. I'm not picking on you, because we just don't know sometimes any better. Number one, we are not angels, and we don't become angels. Angels were created beings, spirit eternal beings that were created for certain purposes, right? They are angels that were created for that. They can, they're not humans. They, they cannot experience salvation. They look down on our salvation. They look down on Jesus and what happened, and they marvel at those things, right? So number one, you will not become an angel when you die. And no, grandma did not become an angel, no matter how good her, her, her cakes were that she made for you, right? No matter how sweet she was, she's not an angel. Um, and so understand that. Secondly, uh, a lot of people think that they... That, People can look down on heaven from us because of Hebrews. It says there's a great cloud of witnesses that surround us. We think witnesses. They're witnessing down from heaven what's happening. But what the writer of Hebrews is doing from Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 is this. He is showing that these people are tried and true examples that we should follow their example. Not that they're witnesses looking down on us from heaven saying, go, you got it, and do that. And I'm glad that grandma cannot look down on heaven on, on my life, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. I'm glad. I'm glad, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm on, you know, traffic on 95. It's like cuts me off, and I tell them they're the greatest person on planet Earth, and they're number one, right? I'm glad my grandma can't see that. <laughs> but no, they cannot look down um, in heaven. And can I tell you, they got bigger things that they get to do if they are, if they were a follower of Jesus and they accepted Christ. Then yes, they're in heaven, and they got bigger things and greater things to pay attention to than trying to worry about what we're what going on with us. When I get up to heaven and I get to see Jesus, I don't care what y'all doing. I get to be in the presence of my Lord who redeemed me and who saved me. And I ain't interested on what you're eating. I spent enough time on social media my whole life looking into your life. I don't need to know any more about it. I'm in heaven with the Lord. Yeah, I'm going to leave y'all alone. You leave me alone, right? <laughs> uh, the, second, or the next question is this. Uh, can I recognize my family members in heaven? Um, now, with that, there is, Paul says, we'll be uh, known even as we are known now. So, yeah, yes, you, you'll be able to do that. Think about when Moses and Elijah showed up, right, to Jesus and Peter and James and John on the Mount of the Transfiguration. They're dead. They show up. And when they show up, they recognize who they are. Even Peter, and they, oh, as I said, Jesus knows who they are. And so they were recognizable with that. Now, we will have glorified bodies. And so, no, um, I will be a lot taller in heaven. I should hopefully have hair in heaven. So you may not recognize me at first. You'd be like, man, you're taller, right? 
Um, and you got hair. That hair looks good. Um, but we will have a glorified body. The Bible even says that we'll have a, a new name that he will give us in heaven, which is beautiful. But can we recognize each other? Yes, there'll be rejoicing. There'll be, you know, that is one of the beautiful things about the promise of salvation, about the promise of heaven for our loved ones who did accept Christ, is that we will get to see them again, and they will be, they're, they're not in a better place than the best place, and they, they will have a new body and a glorified body, and we will have that uh, together and get to spend eternity like that. Amen? The next question is this about heaven. Will we be with our spouse in heaven? If you are not happy with your marriage, I'm glad to tell you that no, you will not be married in heaven. <laughs> no, it, now Jesus was asked the question and the Pharisees tried to trap him in this or said, hey, there's this one guy and he got married and divorced and then married another one and another one. Another. He said, now, which one will be his wife in heaven? And Jesus says to the Pharisees, the, the Jewish religious leaders, that we will neither be in marriage or given to marriage in heaven. And so, um, so in, in heaven, the only marriage that matters is one. It's the marriage of the bride and the bridegroom, right? The bride of Christ, who is us, the bridegroom, and we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb, for that will be the one that matters the most. That will be us coming together, getting to worship Jesus together. And so, yes, you, you'll recognize your spouse in heaven, um, but will you be married to them? No, according to what Jesus says. Uh, the next question is this. And I, I excuse this for the typo here, but it's, it should be what happens right after you die. But what happens right after you die? Do you go to heaven or do you go to hell? And so if you're wondering what happens after you die, do I go to heaven or do I go to hell? Um, realize that you have to understand the process of what's going to happen uh, for everything when it comes to the end times. And we'll get into that in a second. But the moment that a believer passes away, the scriptures say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so there's not a heaven or a hell yet. Heaven and hell, because um, there'll be a new heavens and the new earth. Remember John in Revelation 21, he said, he said, Behold, after everything, after the great Armageddon and the apocalypse and the judgments and tribulations and all this stuff we'll talk about in a little bit, he says, Then I saw the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down uh, there. And so understand that when we die, that we will be in the presence of the Lord, but we are not in heaven or hell yet. Uh, for those who don't know the Lord, they're in a um, some place called, you know, some believe called Sheol, which is the, again the holding place, the place that you will you will be there um, until the judgment, because there will be the final judgment. And uh, with that being said, that was, this was not the question, but can I answer this? And of course, you'll say yes because I have the mic and you don't. Is is this here? Um, so there's two judgments. The first judgment is the great white throne judgment. And that is going to be for those who didn't know Jesus and for those who rejected God's offer to save them because they believed that they were perfect. That, that's what that means. If you don't want Jesus, you say, no, no, I know he was perfect and he's the sacrifice for me, but I, I don't need that. I'm perfect. I'm good enough to get into heaven on my own. And so they will go and stand in front of God and God will show them and they will get to, to look according to his holy standard standing in his complete holiness and they'll see everything of all the sin they said sin doesn't exist it makes me happy i have a right to do it they will be judged for all of that and the full wrath of god will be poured out the beautiful thing about jesus is this he stands in the way of all that wrath the bema the judgment seat of christ we believe are for christians now, that's not to get into heaven or hell. And um, it's not clear exactly what's going to happen, but we will give account for everything that we've done. We will give account. Uh, and so, again, has God forgiven you? Yes, he, thank God he's forgiven you. 
And the Bible says that he will wipe every tear away from our eye. I, I believe personally that the Lord's going to show you every opportunity you missed, and I missed, because I'm, I'm there with you, every time you failed, every time you screwed up, and you're going to sit there and be like, oh. you're going to feel the weight of, I deserve hell. Wow. God. And then Jesus says, but I paid the price for you. Wipe those tears away. You get in because of my blood, because of what I did for you. It wasn't how good you could be. But there will be an account that we have to give. So what happens right after you die? You go to be the presence of the Lord. One of the most beautiful feelings ever um, is when somebody who is a saint in the Lord, who has served Jesus their whole life, when they die and you're in their presence. Um, in my grandfather's uh, hospital room when he died, literally they could feel the presence of God fill that room. I mean, they're like, I w they could not explain. My family's like, we couldn't explain, like, the, the, the feeling of euphoria in the air as we're watching, like, our, our patriarch of the family die, right? That's the beautiful thing, because the thing is about Christians, we never taste death. You go from this life, and the moment you breathe your laugh, last right into the presence of the Lord. So that's what happens. Uh, another question is this, and this is one that was posed uh, to me personally one time, and I wanted to share this. The question is, though, why would God create a serial killer? And why would God let that person into heaven? And what about those that he sh or she killed? Do they automatically get into heaven? Now, this is something, too, that, number one, I think that somebody who's not a believer, they want to put everything on God. Like, you understand this. Like, like they, some people have legitimate questions they won't answer, and other, others have excuses that are in the form of questions. Um, I will take this as a legitimate question. So number one, God doesn't create serial killers. We are born into sin, and we're born in this world. And the thing is, we don't get to choose what, what we're born into, number one, right? Uh, so God doesn't create serial killers. Uh, there are two people procreated, and they had a child that grew up, sadly enough, that was damaged enough by nurture and his growing up environment and maybe by nature, maybe he was born with mental illness. We don't know. Think about Jeffrey Dahmer. We, we don't know what he was born into with nature. You do pass on. If you, listen, I'm telling you, if you struggle with anxiety and depression, um, a lot of times it's gonna, it, it, it can be passed down to your children. And you need to be aware of that to help them with it uh, there. So, number one, he just doesn't let serial killers into heaven. Now, here's the thing you got to realize. A lot of people think, well, you know, heaven is for good people and hell is for bad. So, hell's like for Jeffrey Dahmer and Adolf Hitler, right? Um, that's not how that works. Number one, you don't get into heaven because of how good or bad you've been. You have to understand that. That's not Christianity. That's new age, you know, garbage. Um, Christianity is this. We are all sinners. And some of us have created or, or have, have committed maybe really heinous crimes and sins. If someone comes to Jesus and repents and gives their life, well, it will, and, and it gives their life to him and they, they truly experience the gospel, then according to what scripture says, they are then saved. It's not our right to judge. They will stand in front of God and hold it and, and at the beam of the seat of Christ. And you'll say, well, well, is it really, are they just trying to get out of hell? Is that what it is? Well, God chooses that. You stop making it up and playing God because you're trying to like figure things out. Well, listen, God will judge them. So number one, he doesn't create a serial killer. He doesn't just let people into heaven. And number two, we will stand for the, the judgment seat of Christ even if you are a believer. Now, what about those who that person killed? Do they automatically get into heaven? Nobody automatically just gets into heaven. We all, none of us know. Our, no, none of us know 
Our days are times, guys. And we should be taught early on to number our days, to understand that you may leave here and you may die. I'll, I'll never forget the story. Um, and I grew up in a country town, really very country. If you're like, I grew up rural. No, I, I'm, I'm more rural than you. Come on, let's, let's, let's play that game. Turkey, town of 300, unincorporated. Boom. And the preacher, because we had like a, a Baptist church and a Pentecostal church and a Methodist church, like the three types of churches to go to. At the Baptist church, the preacher went and visited my mom's best friend's son, who was a complete hellion. Like he just, I mean, he was the town drunk. He was everything else. And he went and visited him because he was just really just off, off the wall, hurting people, doing bad things. And, he, he, and he, he visited him and said, the Lord's told me that you need to accept Christ today. You don't know how, how much longer you've got on this earth. And he cussed that preacher out and told him that, it, you know, no, it doesn't matter. The very next day, he died in a fire in his home. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that because you don't, you do not know if you leave here. That's why we give the, that's why every week, like, he give another opportunity to accept Christ. I don't know what's going to happen when I leave here, guys. None of us do. And so those people that sadly experience that, that is a that's tragic. But none of us know. We have no clue what's going to happen. And so we have to make sure that, again, we are sharing the gospel with people so they have the understanding to accept Christ. And then number two, um, we have to make sure that we know that we're right with God because we have no, no idea how long um, that we will have on earth. The next one is this. Talk about uh, heaven. This is hell. Everybody want to talk about hell? <laughs> Somebody else said, yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> one person got that. All right, what will hell be like? I know that you've had the pictures of devils and pitchforks and fire and all that, those things like that. Simply, hell is to be completely absent from the presence of God. For he who created all things holds all things together by his presence. Anytime you experience any love, any joy, any positive emotion, that's because we are able to do that because our creator Again, his, he's omnipresent. He holds all things together. The reason we have life and breath and peace and all that. What hell is, number one, God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go to hell. And they choose it, again, because they believe that they're good enough to get into heaven. Um, every religion in the world, I've told you this, besides Christianity, says that you've got to work to get there. Christianity says he worked to get you there. It's his works, not yours. So every other world religion saying, oh, oh, well, I'm going to be good enough. You watch this. I'll pray three times a day. I'll fast this time. I'll do this to get me into heaven to balance the scales out. So understand that people, number one, choose hell. The second thing is this. They're choosing what they wanted on earth for eternity. On earth, they said, God, I don't want your presence. I don't want this Jesus junk. I don't want any of that. I want to live my life just like I want to, it's like a, it's like a teenager live, leaving the house saying, leave me alone. I'm going to do it my way. And you're like, all right, you know, as the song said before, go ahead, you know, go ahead, have it your way, go ahead, you know, do your own thing. And that's what God gives those people as a gift because that's what they want from him and that's what they've asked their whole life, get out of my life leave that Bible crap alone, excuse my language, you know, you've you had people say that, you get that stuff away from me. And God says, I'm giving you an opportunity. So what is hell? Absent from the presence of God. If he brings everything together, that means integrates. Then without his presence, everything disintegrates. 
That means broken apart. That means full of anxiety. That means full of the most negative emotions you could ever experience for eternity because you're out of the presence of God. And people say, will there be fire? No, you can't see in hell. It's utter darkness there. It's the feeling of fire. It's the feeling of those things that can't even be explained because it is complete darkness and absence from the presence of God for eternity. And people will ask, and this is a question that will come up um, soon, is there be a time when God will forgive those in hell and let them into heaven? Forgiveness is not something that God gives people. It's something that people ask from God. And if you've ever, if, if you want to read a great book, read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. The most beautiful picture of what this is. You assume that those people in hell will actually want heaven because of their pain. C.S. Lewis gives you this fictional like, narrative and story of people who are in hell and they're given the opportunity to actually go look at heaven and they hated it. Oh, the grass is so green. It's, ugh, I just don't, it's, and the hell was gloomy. It was dark. It was like, and they loved it. They're complaining, negativity, just you know, all the time, and then heaven, everything was completely, it was, it was like too, too bright for them, they didn't want to be there, you assume that, number one. Number two, heaven is not, you don't choose heaven, you have to choose Jesus. And to choose Jesus means that you repent of your sins. You say, I was wrong, I'm a sinner. I know this is about, oh, you, you, I don't like this preaching. That's fine, this is the preaching that'll save you. And so the people would have to repent and say, my worldview on this was wrong, my lifestyle was wrong, what I did was wrong. What I did to that person was wrong. And they have to repent of their sins. You're assuming those people in hell actually want to repent. Pride will keep you in hell holding on to your own way. And your, If you ever met somebody who's so prideful and their life's falling apart but they won't get help, right? You assume that in the afterlife that, they're, that that's going to be, then all of a sudden they become these humble people who just want that. Think about that. So it's not God saying, I'm going to forgive you because I either forgive or I don't. It's you making a choice, right? And the answer is biblically no. There will never be a time that God relents. He says it's eternal. Well, I think and believe. Well, you think and believe your way, whatever you want to, right? It's not scriptural. Hell's for eternity. Heaven's for eternity. That's why this matters so much. That's why we're not playing games here, singing songs, looking cute. That's why Thrive Church is about mission. It's about reaching people. It's about sharing the gospel. Because our life is quick, there's nothing but a vapor or a mist, and we won't listen. We want to plunder hell and populate heaven, right? In the short amount of time that we have. All right, here's the next question, and we'll get some on end times here. What signs indicate that the end times are approaching? Now, you have to realize something here. I'm, I'm going to tease a little bit, and I'm going to give a little bit of truth here. Ever since I've been saved, I used to watch Christian television at night. I just want to say I don't watch Christian television at all anymore. I'm not saying if you do, you're wrong. I'm not saying that. Um, I've just seen behind the scenes in these people's lives. Don't you understand that? I, w once you see something, you can't unsee it. Like if you see sausage being made, you're like, I don't want to eat sausage anymore. Um, once you see these people behind the scenes and see what they do and their lifestyle, and it's like Christian music. I don't listen to a lot of Christian like rock bands because I toured with them, and they weren't Christians, none of them. Um, that y'all went and, you know, putting on the concerts, and they're, and they're even seeing worship songs. They're not even believers. None of them are. They're making money. That's all they want to do. So when it comes to this, I'm going to tease a little bit. 
I was told the moment I got saved, I started watching that Jesus is getting ready to come back. And, and this, this one guy had a scripture every week, a scripture. He could, he could spit them out and show you all the correlating things. And um, looking back on it, I wish, here's what you need to do. Go back and look at the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s and count how many times they were wrong about something. Stop saying, well, this week, I, I don't care. Let's go back then and look. Um, number one, we have to be careful that everything we see that we think we can understand when Jesus is coming back, right? No one knows the time, not even the sun, it says. But we do have indicators that end times are approaching. I love it. My grandfather told me this, although it's brilliant. He's true. When did, when did the last days start? The moment Jesus was crucified. That's what Paul said in the last days. Like, for, I mean, for them, a lot of those believers did believe they were in the last days already. You have to understand that. that's been going on forever. Um, even in World War II, there were people who thought that, you know, Hitler was the Antichrist and Mussolini was a false prophet. People thought that. So how do we know that the end times are approaching? The number one key, though, that is something that lets us know that the time is approaching is Israel became a nation in 1948. When they became a nation in 1948 and they began to all come back to, to, to Israel and to Jerusalem, we know that was one of the key turning points there. Now, we do know with the European Union that there is a, there's one world government, one world currency. There's, there's all these things that are being done right now. Don't be sheeple, right? It's sheep of people. The, if, let me just say this too. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Can I just say something to you? If you think the government's batting a thousand and they've told you the truth about everything, then you've got a bigger problem than my conspiracy theory, right? Amen. <laughs> I mean, whoo, right? But you have to understand there are things that are coming into alignment. And no, please don't call me this week and want to talk to me about end times. I don't want to talk about it, right? Because here's, here's what I do know. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, there's some people who are just infatuated with it. You can even find a better hobby, right, than trying to figure out stuff that not even the sun knows. Um, and these people on TV that get your money, they're making millions of dollars to do it, right? Um, that, you know, these, these televangelists. You have to realize, though, that Jesus did say in Matthew 24 that there will be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, and there'll be this, there'll be that, that there will be indicators, and we do have indicators that are happening. And um, right now, especially even in Israel, um, we have a, a, I sat with a, well, not sit with him personally, but he came and shared with our group in Charleston, South Carolina. He's from Israel, and they're doing a great work there among believers. It's phenomenal that they're just seeing people get saved. He's behind the scenes with the Sanhedrin. They still exist. Um, and he says there is plans for a temple to be rebuilt. That's going to be key for the end times. When the Jewish temple is rebuilt and those sacrifices start, um, we don't know how long it's going to be. So it could be days, months, years. But we do know at that point the times are rolling. And so there are end times. The most significant is Israel. We do see a Europe, European Union. We do see a one world order. We do see things kind of, you know, there, there's a movement of that coming into fray here. Um, the next question is this, what is the rapture? You guys have probably all heard that. Did anybody ever um, have the, the series, the Left Behind series? Anybody ever watch that? When I got saved, I listened to that. Um, you know, Nikolai Carpathia, remember he was the Antichrist? Remember that? You might remember that? Um, and that the rapture, when it happened, their, their clothes were folded up in the neat little, and, you know, like, man, these people folded their clothes before they went to heaven. If you ever watched the Kirk Cameron series Left Behind, <laughs> 
It's like my clothes will be just left there like it is now on the floor, right? Um, but the rapture is this. It's nowhere, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. The word Bible is not found in the Bible. So people who argue that say, yeah, go ahead if you want to argue that. But there is in, in um, 1 Thessalonians 5 and, and in 1 Corinthians 15, there is the taking or snatching away. That, that's the word, what the word rapture means there in the Latin, is a taking or snatching away. And it means that there will be, and we'll get into this, there will be a seven-year tribulation period. And this is key that all, all Protestant Christianity believes there's seven years of a great tribulation that's going to come to the earth. When the temple's rebuilt, there's sacrifices, the Antichrist is going to make great peace with Israel. He's going to be something, I'm telling you something, even the elect will be deceived, it says. You've got to be very careful, right, with your politics. Because you may end up voting for the Antichrist and be like, no, why did I do that? Um, one day, right? I'm joking. I'm, you know, vote, please. Um, but you have to, I'm not saying don't. You're like, well, I'm scared. I want to. Um, but he will come into power. And this is God's plan for humanity, that he will come into power for three and a half years. It's going to be peace and it's going to be, you know, love and chicken grease. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. Um, great, great, great prosperity. It's going to love Israel. Everything's wonderful. And then at that three and a half year mark, man, then turns on them, and everything begins to, I mean, persecution of Christians, the mark of the beast, and all that, and so you have to realize that at that point, and then some, some believers, you have seven years, you have before the seven years, middle, and after the seven years, right? Three time points. Christianity has this, you know, lane you can play in. Some believe there's a pre-tribulation rapture, this will happen before the tribulation happens. Then the great tribulation happens, revelation of the Antichrist, and all that. So it's pre. Um, some believe it's mid-tribulation, that during the middle of the tribulation, then it happens. And some believe it's post-tribulation. And there's all arguments for all three of those. And so, um, you know, whatever you believe, you use that study and show yourself belief. But we all believe at some point there's going to be a rapture, a taking away of believers. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it says that with the sound of the trumpet, right, boom, believers are taken off the earth. All believers are. And so you have to realize that's what the rapture is. And so we understand that at some point, we're going to be taken up into heaven. That's not the second coming of Jesus. That's a completely different uh, thing that happens there, right? The rapture is he will meet us in the air. The second coming is he's coming to earth, and he's coming with a sword, and he's getting ready to, to take care of business, right? So he, yeah, and so you got to realize that the rapture is at some point, every believer will be taken away uh, to heaven. Rapture, caught in the sky to meet the Lord, and that's when all stuff breaks loose here. Um, so what is the Great Tribulation? I'll just explain that to you. That's what the Great Tribulation is. It's a time where there will be great peace. The Antichrist looks like he's, you know, the, the, he's, he's the man of, hour, uh, man of power for the hour. He's great. You're loving him. And all of a sudden he turns. And the Great Tribulation is that's when the persecution um, of anything Christian will just completely, I mean, like you've never seen before. That's the time, too, that we believe, and we'll get to this, that we believe that there will be also be a great redeeming of Jews at that time, meaning that Jews will begin to come, begin to come faith in Christ, and they'll, they'll be the ones, the first fruits. They're, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. They'll be the ones that will actually lead the way for salvation, and there'll be a, a great you know, outpouring of God's love and grace and mercy and salvation and gospel sharing that will happen. And so that's what the Great Tribulation is, a time like we've never seen before. The next question is this, what is the mark of the beast? Now, we really don't know 100%. So um, we can speculate, right? Um, now, the mark of the beast is this. It is not something that you'll just unknowingly get. So people are like, don't put it in. Now, we do believe it'll be put in your, uh, in your hand or your forehead. It'll be a chip of some sort. 
But the mark of the beast, no matter what it is, you have to understand it is a, you will be told that you cannot worship Jesus Christ at all. And you must renounce Jesus Christ and take the mark of the beast or you can't buy or sell or eat or any of that. So it's not like something, you, you know, you, you accidentally go and, and man, you, you know, they, they, they accidentally do put, put a chip in you and then you got the mark of the beast. No, you're just, you're in trouble. That's, you're done, right? You're not getting to heaven anymore. Um, it's something that, that the Antichrist will set into place with the false prophet and that they will, again, it will be something where you are told to renounce Jesus and your faith in Jesus at that point. And so it's something, that, again, they're going to use to be able to um, persecute and ostracize anyone that believes or wants to follow Jesus at that point. And that's what it's used for. Um, now, the number 666, we don't really know what it means. It may, it, you know, it's, it's the number of man. We do know that because um, the number of seven is the number of completion. Um, many people thought that, like, um, there, there's been people with, with six letters in each one of their names that they're the antichrist this has happened back in the day some people believe that the social security cards that that was that they believe that was the mark of the beast back in the day uh, we've been you need to study christianity if you believe you know everything right now and you're gonna try to tell me do you know about the end times please go back and tell me um you know again in the in, when the social security card came out or this certain person was the antichrist um i think it was like maybe it was woodrow wilson or somebody had the, the the six and people were just all convinced and these pastors are all preaching this everywhere we don't know um, exactly, again, what that number means, you know, it's the number of man, um, but that will play in somehow, and it will be clear to us when it does, and I guarantee we'll all be like, man, why did I not see that coming, right? Ah, the next question is this, who are the 144,000? Um, you know, and we'll talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and cults in our last week. I'm going to go into cults and other religions our last week and great questions we have about them, but there's 144,000 that the Bible references in the book of Revelation, now, I do want to say this. The book of Revelation, um, I was told by an awesome seminary professor, is a breeding, breeding ground for idiots. <laughs> That's what he said. Don't look at me like that. Meaning that we can take so much out of context, not understand. Um, and there's different views of the book of Revelation, too, before I get into the 100. Some believe that the book of Revelation was written about Nero and his empire. And there was code language that John was writing. I have scholars who literally, this, this is all they do all day long. As friends who are scholars, this is all they do all day. They study this all day. And they'll blow your mind about apocalyptic literature. And they believe that, that that's what it's meant for. Now, um, Protestant Christians, most of us believe that it is a book that connects with the book of Daniel that shows us a picture of what the end times will be, that John had this revelation. That's what it means, a revelation of Christ and the revelation of what would happen, um, that it is a picture of that. Well, in that, they, he speaks of the 144,000 John does. Now, what we believe that is to be is not just a, a number of, um, a, a definitive number that will stop. We believe that in the Great Tribulation, that there will be 144,000 Jews that are first fruits that will come to faith in Christ. It represents the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 times 12 is 144, right? Um, of of that, that completion of that. And they will be the ones that will spur on this worldwide gospel movement during the Great Tribulation. That's what most, most believe. But there are a lot of different, different, differing factors about that. We'll get to it in the last week. But Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they used to say that's that how many going to get into heaven. And once they reach that point with Jehovah's Witnesses, they didn't change their, their, uh, their doctrine. Because <laughs> if you were 144,001, you're like, what happens to me? <laughs> We're a movement of 200,000 now. We're like, oh, well, got some bad news for you. <laughs> All right. Um, one of the questions is, too, I got it's a couple minutes, and I'm going to be closing here, that I want to, uh, to end with 
is how do I differ God's voice from mine? That's what I want to end with here today, and that was a question from last week, which is important. We're doing a series called Recalculating in November about knowing and how to follow the will of God for your life. But let me say this. How do I differ God's voice from mine? Number one, know God through the scriptures. Know him through reading. The, if you, well, what does God think about this? It's in the scriptures. That's what God thinks about it. Number one, you've got to know the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Practice spiritual disciplines. What does that mean? You read, you study, you fast, you pray. You have community that you're involved in. You, you, you worship God. You're engaged. Make sure that you're, if you want to hear God's voice, make sure you practice the spiritual disciplines. But Christianity is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. So how do I know, like, I'm following God's will for my life and God's voice for my life? Here's what I understand for me. Um, number one, it's, again, I said fasting and worship, journaling and meditating on his word. The Bible tells us all the time that he who meditates on the law of God, man, this, these, these great things are going to happen. Because the, the word of the Lord will come up to you when you have to make decisions. And you'll go, you'll go, you get ready to make a decision, you feel good about it, you feel like it's going to make me happy. And then God says, don't do that. Because the word of the Lord. But I want to say this too, that the second thing is community. We're launching our, our fall small groups. And you, some of you don't have any community of believers. You don't have people around you that speak into your life. I, have, I love having community. I have recently heard God in some ways, man, that's been powerful for my life, that has come through community. People who love me, they had no clue. Some of them had no clue they were even saying it, and it spoke to me. And others knew what they were saying to me. And I knew that their voice sounded a lot like God. <laughs> because what they were saying in my life mattered. If you're going to be the Lone Ranger and you're the smartest person in your life, you're going to fail and you're not going to find the will of God. You're going to find the will of God in your life when you read the scriptures and submit to them. You have community. And then the next thing you're going to have is authority. We hate that in our world, especially I'm Gen X, right? The Nirvana generation. Like, we don't, we don't want authority. You need spiritual authority in your life to speak and say yes or no, wise or not. Have people above you in your life that can speak into you. I have people around me and I have people above me that can call me into question, that can call me up and say, hey, I'd, listen, you will lose your job. Um, I don't get to dictate just here at Thrive. If I was to go off the rails, I have people who can remove me that are in my life who are close to me. You need community, you need the authority of scripture, and you need people in your life that can tell you no. And that's not smart, amen? And that's how you find the will of God for your life. But if you're the smartest person in the room, if you're always, if you've got it all figured out, then you're going to be in trouble. Um, so let me say this here as we close. Uh, it's okay if you have questions and you want to follow Jesus. It's okay if you have questions and you are following Jesus. It's okay to have doubts and follow Jesus. Some of you believe you've got to have it all figured out. Some of you have doubts about things, even in the Bible. Can I be honest with you? You're just like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of trying to figure all that out. Was it, I mean, some of you are, I mean, we'll, and we'll get to this. Was it seven literal days of creation? Was it seven? I don't really, I don't really know. And you're keeping that to keep you from following Jesus. I'm going to be very honest with you. I didn't believe half the Bible when I started following Jesus. <laughs> I came down to an altar and gave my life to Jesus Christ. I repented of my sins. His spirit came to live inside of me. And he worked with me with all those doubts. 
and kept working. I kept listening to, to good Bible teachers and growing. And my doubts were way fewer than they used to be. But it says when the resurrected Jesus stood there, it says the resurre resurrected Jesus stands there in front of his disciples. It says some worshiped and some doubted. And Jesus was like, get thee out of here, you doubters. You doubt it and you can do without it. And I want to encourage you with this series. You don't have to have it all figured out and God can handle your doubts. When Thomas came to Jesus, he brought his doubts to Jesus about Jesus. And Jesus met him right there and said, hey, come here. He, would, he wouldn't let anybody, anybody touch him. Realize that. Don't cling to me. He said, I want you to touch, touch, feel that. It's me. I'm right here with you. It's okay to doubt. And I want you to know today that if you have doubts and you're saying, man, I don't know if I can really follow Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. Very few of us do. But God wants you to bring your doubts to him. And he wants to walk with you through it. And if you're not a believer today, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make that. Maybe you're like, hey, look, I don't know if I'd, if I'd go to heaven or hell if I died. I may not make it through this way. I don't Nobody knows. And I ought to make sure I know before I leave here, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray for you in a few minutes, too, so you can make that decision. But first, I'm going to pray for, pray for all the believers here in the room that's watching online. Father, today, I pray for everyone in here who calls the name of Jesus, who serves you, who loves you, that you would help them, Lord, with their doubts, with their discouragements, to bring them to you, not separate them from you. And I pray they would grow, Father, in their faith with you. May you, Lord God, help them lean in to serve you and to learn all they can, Lord, about the scriptures, to know you through the scriptures and to follow your will, Lord. And I pray right now for all of those who don't know you, watching online and those here today who know that they would probably go to hell today if they were to die, that, Lord, right now, this is their moment. Lord, I can sense it in the room. There are people right now that know today is their day. I pray, Lord, you would just touch their hearts. If that's you today and you know I want to, you want to give your life to Jesus, and you're saying, yes, I, I, I'm tired of it. It's, the day is the day. I want you to pray that right where you're sitting, pray this prayer after me. It's a confession of faith. If you're sitting in somewhere and um, you're watching online on your, in your couch at your home and, and you're like, man, I need to make this decision. Today is your day. And you say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I need Jesus. I repent of my sins. I confess Jesus as my Lord. For I believe he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Today, I confess Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now, Lord, thank you for forgiving me all my sins. In Jesus' good name, amen.